0: You, you can't build a culture from an office on the top floor away from where it's happening. You need to be on the floor. You need to be out in the business with them.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Account Experience Podcast, where we dissect how some of the world's top brands are leveraging exceptional B2B account experiences to create passionate advocates and drive significant revenue growth. And we couldn't be more excited that our first episode is all about creating a culture of action around your experience program. In this episode, we'll cover how you can effectively anchor your program and culture to drive buy-in and action, some tips and tricks to keep your C-level bought into your program, and how to motivate an entire company to serve the customer. This episode is packed with tactical tips on how you can create an experience culture in your company. So without further ado, let's dive in and get to it. Hello and welcome everybody to the official B2B customer experience podcast where we're going to talk about everything you'd ever need to know about how to create a remarkable customer experience for your B2B clients that drives revenue results. I'm your host Ian Luck and I'm here with my co-host Kerry Self. He's the VP of Education and Program at Customer Gauge. How are you doing today Kerry?
0: I am doing great. I'm excited to spend some time with you and, 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 and talk about probably one of the most important things in, in, in what we do is really helping companies be successful and helping people find ways to to drive growth and profit.
1: Exactly. And I think it's definitely a a hot topic right now with uh, the current situation globally. I think a lot of companies are just realizing that you need to look at your account base and your customers to really serve them to your best of your ability. So you can grow faster, um, through that customer base. So first episode, really exciting. I'm glad we're doing this thing. Finally, we've been talking about it forever. Um, and I figured we could just maybe take a moment to uh, introduce ourselves to the audience. So everybody that's listening has a good sense for our background. So Kerry, why don't you kick us off?
0: So Ian's already said this. I'm actually the, the VP of education and program development for customer gauge. i um, been with the organization now for about, about half a year, but I have a unique distinction of actually being a customer of customer gauge for three years before that. Um, I love the relationship. I love working with them. Um, in, in my previous role as kind of the champion for a, for a, a, a customer experience program. My role is to kind of create culture around this. How do you drive profit through your people? How do you get them to buy into the program? Um, so working with, you know, three, four thousand um, employees to help them understand how do you get to that place of success and how do you take care of the customer? So working with all departments, really creating a program that generated success and excitement. How do you get that frontline person? The person that is the face of your business to be equally as excited about growth as your CEO is. Exactly. And that was kind of my mission. Yeah.
1: And, and walk us through kind of your history. So where'd you do it at? And I know you've, uh, you were a customer at Arias. Uh, so why don't you start there and work your way backwards?
0: Yeah. You know, um, so, so Arias was a concessionaire. Um, we did food and beverage in airports and travel plazas around the world. And when I came on board, and you're going to hear this a lot, a lot of people start these CX programs um, as, a, as a lone man, the one person. Yeah. And um, there weren't a lot of resources. I, sometimes a lot of companies don't see value in this. And one of the things that, that Customer Gauge really showed me, by using the right tool, you can tie that that investment, you can tie that to actual Um, dollars and cents. Um, One of the things that that I was really challenged with early was how do I show the efforts, the training? How do I show winning hearts is going to equal to dollars in the bank? Right. And that was kind of one of my big things. So I really, you know, everyone says start on top and work down with CEOs. I actually work from the front line and I worked backwards from that. You know, I spent a lot of time just getting in planes and cars And spending times with dishwashers and frontline people and managers on, you know, running their business and trying to be strategic as they could to kind of see where those gaps were, where those opportunities were. Um, And that information I was bringing back to my C-suite and starting to carve out a plan. These are our gaps. These are our needs. And starting to tell stories around, you know, what the difference could be if we could just identify what the customers were asking for, what their needs were. Um, So we started carving out programs and, you know, the question I always asked was, you know, what does our frontline or what does our team need to make customers happy? Mm. And it almost became more of an internal program of making our frontline happy and excited because then in turn, they would do the same thing for our customers. Mm. So there was almost a direct correlation or a parallel between you know, happy employees, happy customers. I know we've said that like a thousand times.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but every time we'd visit someone or roll out one aspect of our program, you would see that kind of take off. So for yeah. me, it was it was real exciting.
1: And and I think that's definitely something worth mentioning. So making sure your employee base is happy, engaged, and that's going to drive a ton of benefits on the customer side. And I know MIT, one of our research partners did a good amount of um, research on that specifically and they tied employee net promoter or employee satisfaction rates directly to customer satisfaction rates. And there's a really good paper out there. We can link in the comments uh, in this thing, but yeah. So Carrie, I mean, that's really interesting. I think you, you have a background in training, which is I think a huge benefit to rolling out a large corporate experience program like you did at Arius. I think you, you were, Trainer uh you were basically head of training at a Container Store, right? And then
0: GameStop. Yeah, let's yep, talk about let's that real up. quick. <laughs> so let's go back to the Container Store was pretty pretty amazing for me because it allowed me to to really work with a group of individuals that were very passionate about what they did. Mm-hmm. The training was actually everyone wore the training badge. Right. Uh, everyone had ownership in the business. So when when we talk about you know engaging a workforce give them ownership of the company hmm. and then tell them it's their responsibility to create more owners. Right. And you know, everything we did, it almost sounds crazy, but it was by committee. You know, you'd walk into a unit, you'd, you'd have a hard time seeing who the store manager was or who a part-time cashier was because everyone hmm. had the same ownership mentality. And we really worked on how can we make it, and you said it earlier, engaging and fun. You know, I, I think engaging your workforce in, is important, but if they are having fun doing it, that's the formula. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the joke always with me was my CEOs and my my partners never said go out and work hard or or, or make money. They always just tell me have fun, <laughs> because if we were having fun and we were smiling, we were making money. We were there having success.
1: Yeah, and that's such a simple concept that I think uh, everybody overlooks. So good on you for. We're pushing that. Um, so, all right, a little bit about myself. So, I am uh, VP of marketing at Customer Gauge, uh, full disclosure. And I know what you're thinking, it's like lawyers and then marketers below that. But uh, once you get to know me, it won't be so bad. Uh, so, I've run six marketer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trust them, trust them. I know, right?
1: Uh, marketers aren't liars, they're storytellers. But, <laughs> um, So I ran, I started off my CX career and I was kind of in that realm early on. Um, I did the CX program for CIT Bank in the U.S. uh, And for those Europeans out there that are listening, CIT (laughs) Bank is a a SIFI organization. It's basically one of those too big to fail. So like if some trader hits the wrong button on the trade desk, the U.S. economy goes down in flames. Um, So that was fun. But I, I hacked together a bunch of odds and ends like Salesforce, Marketo, Tableau. Set up an automated system, pipe results directly to uh, the CEO at the time, John Thane. So I decided I wanted to try to build this as a business. And in that process, I did some research and found out that actually Customer Gauge, right in my backyard in Boston, was already doing it. So I rang up the CEO, Adam Durrell, um, and got a copy with him. And the rest I say is, uh, is history. So while I've been at Customer Gauge, I've helped write a couple of books on CX. Um, And I love talking to our customers about their strategies to create basically remarkable experiences for their clients. Um, So yeah, that's, that's my story. And the obvious next thing we need to address is why are we doing this podcast? Right? So uh, basically it really boils down to, we want to help. So we talked to thousands of B2B CX practitioners, just like yourselves. And over the years, there's one thing that they all have in common. And that's always, they're trying to find better ways to serve their customers. They're trying to improve their programs. Um, especially in b2b with more complex account environments it can be really difficult to serve multiple stakeholders in those accounts and collect feedback in a timely manner uh, and so we've been evangelizing this concept uh, especially at the b2b level for years um, and a podcast just seemed like the logical next step so here we are um, and hopefully some of these learnings that we kick out there can benefit you all um, and we're excited you're on the journey with us all right right to the nitty-gritty uh, let's get into our first topic you ready for this carrie
0: um, I think so.
1: All right. so culture, right? Mm. How do you establish a culture based around the customer? And why is it important?
0: How long is this podcast? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Two hours go. Not enough time. Um, you know, I think culture is a word that's thrown around a lot. and and, yeah. and 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 I think it's it's the right word to use, but I think sometimes people, mistake culture for processes. They mistake it for, for reward programs and all these different things we create and your culture is really your people. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it, it, when you, when you sit back and go, we have a great culture, we have great people that are doing it. And I, I think you have to create tools and systems and processes that, 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 that kind of speak to the people and motivate them and, and, and make them as excited about whatever that mission is at the company's mission, whatever it might be. Um, So, you know, where do you start with a culture? You you start by, it's got to start from the hiring process. And, and we don't, we don't all have the benefit of starting from scratch on day one and going, well, I'm going to go hire 2000 people. The reality is most of us step into a situation where we already have 2000 people and we have to start making decisions on, is this the culture we want? Mm. can we motivate and excite that 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 group or do we need to go out and maybe look for some some more people all right so um. let's
1: let's pause there so sorry okay. to jump in but i think the the piece about how do you excite those people um i know a little bit about your background because you were a customer and you presented at a couple of our conferences so i'm gonna bring something up and i want you to really get tactical right so like all right everybody says create an amazing culture. And I, and I completely agree it's overused, but it is true. You need to create an amazing, engaging culture. And I feel like from what I've seen and what I know about you, you managed to do that, which is a very difficult thing at a company the size of Arias. So tactically, what did you do? Did you have an internal branding program? Did you have, what was it that you did to kick that off? And I'm not talking about when you're hiring, right? Like that's, that's the, the culture should already be established and it should spill into the hiring process. But what did you do like when you were that lone man or woman um, in that situation where you're like, all right, I need to do this. It's important for the company. Bring me back to that time and kind of how you went about actually establishing that culture in the company. All
0: right. So I'm, I'm going to go into my cliche toolbox here and throw a few out um, as I speak for yeah. sure. So you can call me out on them if you want or let's put a counter up in the upper right hand corner. of but, but I, I mean this when I say this, you have to win their hearts. Um, when you're the lone person, y- you're not going to do it through emails and you're not going to do it through websites. Um, face-to-face, going out, asking genuine questions and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, doing their job. This is another thing that I think a lot of organizations or people higher up really failed to do. But the joke with me was, you know, I spent the first couple of months of my, my, my new job title, whatever. I had so many titles, it doesn't even matter anymore because they didn't know what to call me. But right. what I was doing was I was just going out there and doing the job with them. And if it meant washing dishes, if it meant answering the phones, um, really understanding what it was that they were doing and how they were doing it. Hmm. And something happens in the moment while you're working alongside with your team where you go, hey, have you ever thought of this, or would you like to try this? Mm-hmm. And they're open to it because they see you as someone who's been doing what they're doing, even if it's for a couple of days, right. even if it's for a couple of hours. So I think that's where it really started was getting your ass out there mm-hmm. and seeing what it is they do day to day. You know, walking in their in their in their shoes. Um, ding, that's another one. Um, but. You know, really getting out there and doing what they do so you can understand that. Um, You you can't build a culture from an office on the top floor away from where it's happening. You need to be Mm -hmm. on the floor. You need to be out in the business with them. Um, And then you need to start listening, collecting that information. I think the second thing was a lot of what I did or what we created as a team. So eventually it became a team. But as the lone wolf. You're looking for anything that's working. Mm-hmm. Even in, a, in, a, in an environment where it feels like it's one loss after another, or you're running right. into dead ends, or sales aren't where they should be, you're looking for something that is working and you latch on to that. So I remember rolling into some location, like one location, um, and, and they had this program that the employees themselves created. And it was recognition, They I think they called it props. And basically, the employees, were putting other employees' names in a box every time they wanted to give props to someone for doing something great. Hey, you know what, you grabbed that order from me. Hey, you trained that new person who made my life a little bit easier. Any little thing that they were doing. And I just remember walking in here and thinking, you know, you guys say you're broken or we don't have a program, but you guys have created your own program. So some of your best ideas come from within your own organization. Even when you're mm. trying to create a new culture, or grow or improve a culture, latch on to the things that they are doing. So we took this props program. I remember marching back to the corporate office with it, sitting with the C-suite and going, here's my first program. It's it's props. Or we might change the name of it if you don't like the name of it. Um, but props ended up becoming our high five program, which mm-hmm. was our way of giving a recognition, a quick high five to someone who's done something above and beyond. And to this day, you know, 12 years later, they're still using it in their culture in their environment from an idea that was born on the on the floor as a, as a necessity um, so so I, I think that's another key thing is, is take ideas that are already in play and latching onto that um, and then i'm i'm the other thing i love too is 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 you know committees i love taking the people that are going to be impacted and influenced by anything that we do and making them part of the team that's creating it right um, I think the first thing this does, it helps with buy-in. If I come in with a really great idea, no matter how great it is, I'm already going to have a group of resistors out there. I'm going to have a group of people who are like, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. He's going to tell us how to run our business. (laughs) He's going to tell us how to be happy and have a good time. You know, and it's like they don't need to be told that.
1: Mm -hmm. They
0: need to be part of the group that's saying, hey, this is what we enjoy. This is what makes our job great. I'm a firm believer that when people wake up in the morning, they look in the mirror and they say, I want to do a good job today. I want to yeah. go kick some hats, right? Yeah. I don't think people wake up and say, well, I'm going to do a crappy job today. <laughs> I, think, I think people genuinely want to do a really good job and get recognized for it. And I think they want to be held accountable, as crazy as it sounds. They want feedback. Yeah. Hey, you could do this better whatever. But something happens between that mirror at the, at the door when you leave your house to two hours into your shift, your boss has yelled at you, you know, a coworker doesn't have time to give you an answer, your email's not working, Um, you know, the the platform's not operating the way it should be. We all know the problems that happen. And I think this is all the noise that takes us away from it. But we gotta tap into that person who was standing at that mirror at the the, the beginning of the day and saying, I wanna do a great job today. Yeah. And, And I think make them part of that committee, bring those people in and saying, okay, this is the benefit. Tell us how it's going to benefit you. Tell us what you want, and then you start to form that culture around. And now you've got, without even calling it, you've got champions out there who are marching and, and and talking about how this is going to benefit. They become your front line. They become your 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 army of sorts that are out there doing your work. Um, and I think that's where I started. If you ask where I started in, in the last two or three companies, you know. Container Store had, had a great culture, and all I could do was add to it or learn from it. Um, when I got to areas, it was it was an industry that was hurting. Right. And, and you know we had to find a way to p- create a culture around that um, and build. So I think that's, to answer your ultimate question, I think that's where we started. We brought the people in. We looked for some, some key things that they were doing really, really well. We gave a voice to a group of people who didn't think they had a voice. They were creating their own culture. And how do you start marrying these little subcultures into one large
1: one? Yeah. And I think, um, that's really spot on. So I've worked for companies where there are these little mini subcultures, uh, by departments or even by regions. Um, the the trick is making one cohesive culture that everybody buys into. So how did you do that in a global organization, right? So a lot of, um, companies out there have multiple divisions, multiple, multiple, um, locations. So, how do you bring that culture and spread it across the entire globe?
0: All right. So, so get the cliche, um, um counter going again. <laughs> um, but I do think and I don't know if it's a cliche or not, but I think you need to find at least one, a common thread, right? What is the one thing that everyone can rally behind? And I know the immediate thing, I know what everyone's thinking right now, money, right? Money in my account, money in the till, money in the bank. You know, and, and, and look, there's no doubt about it. Money makes the world go round. especially that's what we're all here for. And we're trying to grow our business and our industry. Um, but you start to discover there are other things that, that tie us together. Let's take the current situation of COVID. I, I know it's like, we don't, I, I don't want to make this whole podcast about that. But there seems to be a genuine spirit about doing what's right and taking care of people yeah. and yeah. giving back. You know, we've done a few things and I'm not, I'm not even going to brag about them, but we, we, our immediate response was not to save money, not to make money, but how could we help our own team and how could we help our customers, yeah. you know, our partners? How can we all come out of this? And I think that's, you know, what is the currency that brings your team together? What right. is it that you can rally around? And sometimes it is revenue. Don't get me wrong. Hitting goals. So maybe it's an individual target that we all just want to be proud that we hit. Maybe it's bragging rights. Hey, you know, we've been number three long enough. We want to be number two. So what are what was those common things that we could rally around? And that that started to to help those silos break down a little bit and just start saying, okay, I, I can buy into that. I can get my good idea join forces with their good idea and their fun um, and rally around this one mission or, or this one, whatever it might be. Um, so, so I think that was kind of what I played at. I played a little bit and, um, you know, part of being a, a customer experience champion and having a customer experience program is what are your metrics? What are the mm. things that you determine as being successful? Right. And for me, you know, our NPS score and our relationship score was important. Um, our average ticket and, and what we were selling, it's, it's, you know, there were certain metrics that we went after and we just it was bragging rights. Can we improve it? And then it almost becomes competitive. It goes from rallying around it to almost having this friendly competition of can we grow it and can we expand? And then instead of looking at each other as competition, before you know it, you're looking at the other guys who's running the similar business and saying, now that's my competition. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to rally against them and beat mm-hmm. them and I, I think that's what what helped break down those silos was really finding that one thing that we all could get started on and then watch it grow from there
1: so one of the things I remembered from your presentation at one of our conferences was I think it was areas connect was what it was called <laughs> it was like a uh, internet essentially but it was built around customer experience right or what you guys called the guest experience you uh, know, it was this internet where you could get points, you could see how the other divisions were doing with their NPS scores and things like that. I mean, that was super unique to you guys. But I think in my head, outside looking in, that seemed like that was the glue that kind of brought everybody together and kept it close. And that was like the the real cultural driver that was across multiple divisions across the globe. Is that Talk a little bit about that. Was that kind of key in your strategy? Well,
0: it's funny because that was almost the end product or the manifestation of what we've been working years to create. Mm. Um, I think, and it, 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 I like the way you describe it. It was it was one part training. Where do I go to learn new skills and new right. things about product? Where do I go to? Um, so it was one part competitive. Where do I go to see where I rank against my, my fellow teams and, mm-hmm. and, and how am I doing? It was one part um, social. You know, there's a reason why people are hooked to social media, but where can you call each other out yeah. and talk trash, but also celebrate and give back? Right. back. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, we, we thought money was the driver. We were giving hands of hand, you know, handfuls of cash to people to drive performance, and we didn't see change, but we had to find a currency that worked. And you're right. We used a point system that allowed people to buy gifts that they wouldn't normally buy for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, whenever I'm talking to someone, I always say money's not king when it comes to motivating people, it's giving them something that they wouldn't normally give themselves or they could get themselves. So we were actually offering up experiences and, and, and gifts that they wouldn't, they would rather pay bills than to get, but we saw motivation get driven out of that. So, we took all these elements of things that we were doing in different systems, and we married them all together into, into one portal called Various Connect. And all 3,000 plus of our employees in the U.S. had access to it. This ended up becoming a global solution. It's almost 30,000 people now that are, that are running on this particular system. But it was your one go-to hub for everything that was driving our culture and our success
1: that's huge and it's so funny that you say the um the point system like uh give them something that they wouldn't buy themselves cash for some people is just not a motivator um it reminds me of like this the arcade prize scenario when i was a kid right Mm -hmm. where there's a slingshot on the wall and i could go down the like two stores down and buy the slingshot for probably ten dollars i must have spent 80 to 90 dollars in the stupid arcade because I wanted to win that stupid slingshot, and I did everything in my power to get to it. But you're right; it's a powerful motivator to basically say, "You know what? That's that's something I want." Uh, They could easily buy it, I'm sure, but it has special meaning when you earn it, right?
0: Yeah. So it's that ticket. The ticket, the ticket shooting out of the machine (laughs) was kind of that feeling we were creating with this portal, because you know it all came back to. I came into the situation, I learned something, I applied something, I continually got better, and I got a reward for that. Yeah. And yeah. I think it speaks to kind of like this really raw kind of thing about us as human beings is we want to continually grow and improve. We want yeah. to be better than we were. And I think we tapped into that with, with creating this, this culture around growth and improving ourselves. So yeah. I think I, you nailed
1: it. Yeah. So, all right. Frontline staff, middle management staff bought in, you got all of this data cooking. You have a really nice internal digital system that spreads the culture across the globe. Um, what about like your B2B vendors, right? So you're a concessionaire, but you also, your, your vendors were essentially airports, right? How did you know that you were in good standing with them?
0: Well, we can go even a step further. Yeah, our, let's do our B2B it. went beyond just the airports or, the, or transportation we had franchises that we had to work with, you know, some of the biggest brands that each and every one of us loves and stops at on the way to work or right. or takes the kids to on weekends. So we had them as B2B. Then we had our suppliers. Mm-hmm. Where do we get all of our product from? Where do we right. get our, our HR solutions from, you know, really big companies in the world, we were business to business partners with, and we need to find ways to measure that. And you know, putting a, putting a pulse on keeping them equally as happy. Um, Cause yeah, you want your consumer to be happy. You want the person who buys the burger right. or yeah. the person who kind of comes in and, and, and and needs, you know, aspirins on the road to, to be happy. I get all that, but you got to keep that B2B client extremely happy also. Definitely. And I think part of that was the same formula. you got to, re- I constantly asked myself this, and I learned this many, many years ago, but you kind you you have to stop and ask yourself this question ultimately, who is your customer mm-hmm. I, I don't think we ask that question enough. I think sometimes we go numb or we think we just have a job to do and we just keep plowing through it and we keep looking at the dollars and cents we're trying to prevent churn it's all about retention I, I, I know all the catchphrases I get it, but who is your customer and you know we had to ask ourselves that I have a purchasing team and I would say, okay, stop. Who is your customer? And they'd say, well, it's not the consumer because that's not who I'm directly, you know, providing services to my customer happens to be the person who's selling it or the management, that middle management out in the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now who's helping you be successful with that customer? Well, that's my suppliers. That's my, and so, you start to see this bi-directional relationship that starts to exist and you know, here's another hit, hit the cliche, um, um, counter again, but yeah, right. It's gotta be mutually beneficial. Like what's in it for me is a question you constantly have to ask yourself, but our partners are asking us that too. So what we started to see when we're trying to improve this frontline culture and this middle management or this, this management leadership in the field culture, what we started to see with it was companies would come in, so I'm not gonna throw names around, but when you're sitting across the table from someone like Coca-Cola, yeah. you know everyone knows who these guys are, right? And they wanna know how much are you gonna sell? What's the relationship like? And they're willing to throw money at you to put their product out front or whatever. Yeah. And we didn't see the relationship take off or the happiness measured until we could say to them, look, let me show you this culture here that we're creating. Mm-hmm. And I just remember giving that same exact demo that I would show the employees to, to these big companies. And they would be like, oh, my God, you're mm-hmm. teaching them. You're rewarding them. They're, they're competing against each other. And it's whatever you put out there to do, they would, they would just get excited about it. Mm-hmm. And we used to see huge like, jumps in, 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 in sales. But what we saw on the other side with our business partners were like, you care about your frontline, your frontline in turn cares about your customer. You know, you understand who all your customers are in this scenario. Like we want to, you're our customer now. Yeah, we're excited right. about servicing you. Right. And we'd see more spend in marketing. We would see more, more investment in time. We, we, we had bragging rights. Like we'd get more visits not just because we were in a tropical environment and people wanted to come hang out there in the summer, in the winter, but they genuinely saw the benefit of doing business with us. Mm. And then they in turn would go back and hold all of their partners, all of their customers to our standard. So we kept seeing ourselves raising the bar in that relationship and the expectations would go up on both sides and
1: i think it's worth mentioning right here so i'm gonna make a name drop if that's all right with you so <laughs> areas for those of you that don't know there are concessionaire airports and other types of uh venues like what rest stops things like that
0: yeah we do travel plazas yeah. rest stops stadiums um, and train stations in other countries yeah right
1: exactly and <laughs> i don't know if this is super well known across at least the u.s but the brands that are in those airports or those other areas are not actually, um, the corporate brands. They're, they're franchised or they're basically run by you guys
0: areas, right? Exactly. We, we build out, we operate, we staff, we train, um, everything, um, is us. So if you had a great experience. Yeah. Um, hopefully we had something to do with that. If not, that was probably the other guy.
1: So what, what type of brands would you guys work with? Anything that we'd know? <clears throat>
0: Um, some small companies, um, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, <laughs> um, Wendy's. Um, we would you know, everything from you know your, your favorite pretzel place to the favorite place you love to get sushi, Panda Express. I mean, the yeah. list is actually pretty rich and long. Um, but we do everything from from casual dining locations, you know, the Ruby Tuesdays of the world, and. Mm-hmm. and and things like that five guys all the way up to um you know just just I mean, anywhere you would you would eat and shop and, and and visit street side your favorite places you love to go we made um a big deal about bringing those into the airports so so we would even have regionally specific or city-specific locations. Yeah, uh, restaurants you could only visit in one city. Hmm. We would be the partner that would bring that into the airport to represent that brand.
1: So I guess what I'm getting at is these are not smallish brands. I'm sure you had a couple local guys, but these are brands that if you don't maintain that relationship or you piss them off in some way, shape, or form, they are like, hey, I'm I'm out. Like we're not going to let you run with it. That's going to hurt. That's a big contract,
0: right? Yeah. And it's, 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 it, and think about it, it's not just in one country, we're talking global here, right. you know, we run all over the world. So we had the responsibility and the weight of making sure that not only did we represent the vision they had for their brand. Exactly. Um, we also had bragging rights. Some of our, our scores were, or not some, most of our scores were higher than what they did street side. Right. So we almost carried a, a, an extra level of delivery on that. Um, Cause the airports had a very high standard. Mm-hmm. um you know departments of transportation and government had a very high standard but you know to us it was a sense of pride we wanted to be better than anyone else out there doing it
1: yeah and I, I think um the amount of effort that you guys put into your program and the amount of effort that you guys put into training and i mean you that is not a small thing for a company of that size that is multiple people working full time to ensure that this thing is running at maximum capacity and completely optimized uh, for the customer. So again, that's, I think, super interesting. Um, And it's really, I think areas specifically has uh, a really interesting use case because there is kind of that mix of B2C, B2B. um, And a lot of our clients do similar things. We work with a, a ton of B2B clients, but we also have a mix, right? So there are some really interesting parallels between these companies where B2C, right? You got to serve an end consumer and it's really important to make sure they're happy. But then there's this whole other element and it has, it carries this massive contract value too. that. Like this B2B side of like your vendors, your distributors, if you don't pay attention to that as well, you could be in just as much danger. So these companies, not only they have to do it at the B2C side, but they have to, also do it just as well on the B2B side and that can be a lot of complexity for a lot of these companies out there and some just don't know what to do or where to even start. So I really wanted to start with you first because specifically you've done it on both sides, B2C, B2B. I know this is the official B2B experience podcast, but I do think just like in marketing, there are things that the B2C side can inform the B2B side. Um, And that is a great example of how to create culture in the front line bring it to your B2B side on the vendor side, on the brand side, the distributor side and supplier side, and really take those learnings and apply them directly to the B2B business, which I think is just really hard to do. And I think you guys did it exceptionally well. So I want to commend you. Uh, but I think it's also a great story to share with our listeners is that there are things you can do on both sides of the fence and they're mutually beneficial. Uh, cliche button. Bing! Uh, yeah. But I mean, honestly, it's, it's just a really inspiring story. And I really wanted to kick off this podcast with just kind of exploring your brain and kind of your experience on that side of it. Um, anything else you want to add to that story before we maybe wrap up this culture episode?
0: Well, it's, you know, you use the word a couple of times and it's, I, I really want to talk about one specific word is effort. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of companies think throwing a lot of cash at something. Um, it is what's going to create change. Right. And I, I do think you need to invest. There, I'm not going to lie to you. There is, there is a, a certain amount of investment in people and in the right tools to get it done, that, right. without a doubt. But nothing replaces effort. Mm-hmm. A lot of our biggest successes came from effort, not from the other two necessarily. Mm-hmm. But you need good people and good tools to deliver that. And I just remember, you know, I can go back and and very quickly share like probably 10 different stories of where just putting the effort together of a group of people coming together, working a little bit harder, and then taking another thing that you said too, sharing your wins, Mm -hmm. tell your story. Uh, You could have a hundred bad stories, but take that one good story and continue to share it over and over again. And, you know, tell your, your B2B partners, Tell your employees about the B2B. You know that's what really gained success for us and helped us grow quickly. Hmm. We kept celebrating, and we don't—I yeah. don't think we celebrate enough as, as companies. Um, those little wins and those little successes. So if you're gonna put effort um, out there, and there is any level of success that comes out of it, celebrate that um, at the top of your lungs, because um, I, I think that's where that reward and recognition comes from. It's it's the beginning of that culture they're celebrating it.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said. I, I, and you're right. It goes for any company, right? Celebrate the little wins, the big wins, the medium wins, celebrate everything. I mean, if there's good news, especially right now, you guys got to celebrate that. And all of you B2B practitioners out there, you're not alone. We hear you. Hopefully this was helpful. Um, Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, that was fantastic. Hopefully the insights were valuable to everybody else. Um, we're going to be doing this probably every week here, so we'll be releasing episodes. If anybody wants to get involved, hit us up. We'd love to have you on the show, um, but we're going to try to share with you very tactical uh, tips to maximizing the impact of your BDB experience program. Uh, that is, I think, the toughest thing that we've encountered is a lot of these people that come to us, they just they don't really know where to start. They don't really know how to take it to the next level. That's really what we're going to try to do for you guys is just provide as much information as possible so you guys can make better decisions at your company and increase your buying for your program and hopefully generate a bigger return on your investment. Um, This has been the official B2B Experience Podcast. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Account Experience Podcast is sponsored by Customer Gauge the leading B2B account experience software that ties revenue to your experience data in real time to help you make better account-centric decisions that drive revenue growth. Quick question, what do you guys think is the number one reason B2B experience programs fail? Believe it or not, it's lack of C-suite buy-in. In In, in Customer Gauge's research with MIT, they found the quickest way to align yourselves with the C-suite is to actually align with what they care about most. Which is revenue. That's why Customer Gauge is literally built from the ground up to maximize and track the revenue contribution from your experience program in real time. Companies like DHL, Anheuser Busch, Heineken, uh yeah, we get a good amount of free bear, one login, Iron Mountain, H&R Block, SuperOffice, and Sugar CRM are already using Customer Gauge to maximize their growth by tying their programs to revenue. And with over $10 billion worth of account revenue actively being managed in Customer Gauge, yeah, that's Billion with a B. They're the leader in the space. But maybe even more interesting, they found that once you get alignment with that C-suite, the needs of these B2B practitioners, or the program champions, are evolving too. In such a complex account environment, it can be really tough to measure and act on feedback quickly across multiple departments, divisions, or even locations. Luckily, Customer Gauge has you covered there as well. With account-native features that easily help you not only measure the feedback from multiple stakeholders in an account, but act on that feedback in real time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not empowering your frontline staff with the right insights to address customer issues, you're going to be dealing with a churn issue. It's not a matter of if, It's really a matter of when. Customer Gauge helps you distribute this experience data across your entire organization, regardless of department, regardless of location, regardless of division, all in real time. No manual spreadsheets or a team of analysts are needed. Customer Gauge's mission is to help B2B companies harness the power of account-centric growth to drive meaningful change in their businesses. And that's a powerful thing. If you want to see Customer Gauge in action, go ahead and check out customergauge.com and get a demo of account experience today. You won't regret it.